Well, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to um, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to be in verses 11 through 17. If you have your um, Bible, you can turn there. It's going to be in your outline. It's going to be on the screen as well. If you have the Version Bible app, I'm in the CSB, so you can follow along word for word. Um, last week, we started this um, new series, This Is Us. And as I said last week, we're not necessarily going to pick apart our mission statement each week, but there are some messages that I want to share with you, some things that I want us to focus on um, as it pertains to our mission statement. So we may be there for a little bit. Um, and, and just as a review, as we talked about last week, um, this is our mission as a church. And it's this, it should be on the screen, to be a community of believers dedicated to the glory of God by extending radical grace for the broken, growing in spiritual maturity, and leading people to become passionate followers of Jesus through the gospel. Last week, as we kicked off this series, we talked about what that looks like for us as followers of Jesus and as a church um, to live, to be a community of believers, a, a faith family that is committed to unity, um, common unity. And one of those common unities, one of those things that we want to be unified around is um, being dedicated to the glory of God. We talked about weekly that our gathering together as a corporate body, as individual Christians, but coming together should be a time of celebration. It should be a time that we worship and we glorify God. And so today in Luke chapter 7, we, do, uh, we are going to look at that um, kind of element of extending radical grace for the broken, but not just because it's flattery words, it sounds good, um, but because we see it from Jesus. And so let's look today, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. And this is what it says. Afterwards, um, he, speaking about Jesus, was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped. And he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. I want you to write this down today. Jesus is moved by the hurting and the broken. Jesus is moved by the hurting and the broken. Jesus has just left Capernaum, and um, where he had uh, met with Essentially, a centurion had sent some uh, servants, sent some uh, friends to Jesus where he was at, and he asked him to heal his servant. And so Jesus uh, goes and starts going to the house of this centurion. And as he nears the house, the friends that are with him, or, or actually some other friends come out with a message from the centurion that asks and basically says, hey, can't you just speak and can't you just heal him from here? And the reason why is because the centurion felt like he was unworthy to not only be in the presence of Jesus, but also to have Jesus in his house. 
Some of you know what that's like just in the fact of having people over to your house because it's a mess or because the kids destroy it. You're like, I don't want people coming over to the house because it, it looks like a tornado came through here. And so you, you, you're kind of self-conscious about that. You're kind of self-conscious about the situation that your house is in. And so in this moment, it wasn't because of the condition of the house, but it was because of how the centurion felt the condition of his life and where he stood when it came to Jesus. He understood who Jesus was. He speaks to his authority even in verse 8. But in verse 7, he says this, I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he appeals to Jesus based on his authority because he's like, I'm a man of authority and I tell people what to do and they do it. You being the, the, the son of God, you being who you are, um, your authority, you can speak and it can happen. And look at what Jesus says in verse 9. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith in all of Israel. In this moment, Jesus is moved by faith, the faith of the centurion, one that he says is the greatest that he's experienced in all of Israel. And as the friends return, the, the sick servant has been healed because of the faith of the centurion. Now, Jesus is at the gates of Nain, and that's where we pick him in verse 11. And now he encounters this funeral procession. I want to say procession and get that right versus possession. Procession. Um, a, a young man is being carried out on a bane. Now, I've got some pictures of a bane. Um, this, this is a little bit different than our, you know, coffins that we have. There, there's another one here. Um, you can kind of see how they carry the, the body. Um, they still do that in some countries today. But, but this is uh, exactly how uh, Jesus would have encountered this funeral. And he would have encountered this dead body. And, and so this young man, the scripture tells us, is the only son to his widowed mother. And we know based on the precedent and the, um, the historical times of the Bible, certain things. Uh, we know that the mother most likely feels uh, hopeless in this moment. I think any mom, any parent uh, with the loss of a child would feel hopeless. But what we're told here is that she is a widow. So, so she'll now most likely live in poverty according to what took place in these times. Women didn't work. They didn't hold jobs like the, the men did and the way that men did. And so without a husband, because she's widowed, her really true only hope would have been a son so that he could work and he could provide for the family. But now her only son has died. And so this widow, and we know that the, the Bible holds a special place for widows. In fact, that's one of the things that says pure and genuine uh, religion for those of us who profess to be Christians is to care for widows and to care for orphans, the most vulnerable in our society, the most vulnerable around us. And, and so here Jesus is really demonstrating that because she is not only hopeless, because she's not only lost her husband who would provide for her, but she's also lost a son who would provide for her. And most likely she's going to now be left in poverty. And the scripture doesn't tell us if she um, had daughters, but, but we do know from the precedent of this historic time that women were often led into undesirable behaviors and things just to provide for themselves. 
that they would do things that they would never think or dream or imagine having to do, sometimes selling their bodies, um, selling themselves even into some sort of slavery just to provide for themselves. So if she had daughters, not only has she got to provide for herself, but the need for money is going to be even greater because there's weddings and there's makeup. No, I mean, just, just to put food on the table. And no telling what would have happened even with these daughters and these, these young ladies if she had them. We also know the son had likely, most likely, just died, maybe even within the past 24 hours. In this day, due to the, the culture, the, the, the climate, and the lack of embalming fluids and things like that, they didn't keep the bodies around long because of the smell and all that goes into that, the decomposition. And so, most likely the shock is just wearing off and the, the raw, deep emotion, the, the deep pain of the loss of her um, son is setting in and it's becoming a reality, most likely. Because in those maybe first couple of days, there's this, this shock, this you know, uh, wrestling whether it's true. And, and if you've dealt with that kind of loss, you understand that. And so there's this, this pain is probably just setting in, the realization that the sun is gone. But in this moment of her hopelessness and in her brokenness, this moment as she's watching, maybe leading the procession or maybe trailing behind or maybe walking beside the bane, we, we don't know, but we know she's probably there, broken, um, weeping, she, she, she's along with this uh, funeral procession. She's hopeless. She's broken. And in this moment of despair for her, Jesus is present. Jesus comes onto the scene. He walks up to her. He walks up to the sun. And in verse 13, it says this, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said, don't weep. You can write this down. Jesus is moved with emotion for the hurting and the broken. Jesus is moved with emotion for the hurting and the broken. That word compassion comes from the original Greek word, um, splengnizoma, splengnizoma. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's how it's written out to pronounce it, splengnizoma, or splagna, S-P-L, it's on the screen, A-G-N-A. It refers to the intestines. It basically is that um, to have your, your guts twisted or ripped out. It's that gut feeling when you see um, a, a child who is in poverty, who's starving. Um, and, and we see the pictures, especially for the ministries and the programs, wanting you to support children, to, to feed them. And they're nothing but, but barely skin and bones. And, and you see that and it, and it twists you inside. It's that gut twisting feeling. It's that sick feeling. It's when you turn on the TV and you've seen a hurricane or, or maybe you've been on the ground like I was able to go uh, to Mississippi after Katrina and, and you just saw rooftops on the grounds and you heard stories of how people got sucked out into the ocean and people had lost everything. And it was like a nuclear bomb had gone off and you see that kind of scene and it's that sick feeling inside, that gut twisting, intestine, you know, sick feeling when you see those things, that you're moved in compassion for those people. That's what's happening here. Splagna is that internal sick feeling that the scripture tells us Jesus felt when he saw not only the dead son, the only son, but the widowed mom who had just lost him. And so this funeral procession, this would have been an ordinary thing. I mean, it's quite ordinary. We don't think it's 
uh, unordinary when we're driving down the road. And if you're not from the South, um, ju- just understand that when, when people see a hearse coming by, um, they, they pull over just out of respect, out of honor. That's something you'll see here. Maybe they do it up North. I don't know. I'm not, I, I visited up there and that's about all I can take. And then I come back home. But, but, but people will pull over. And so it's not a, an, a, you know, an ordinary scenario. We understand when we see that someone's passed away, someone's died, and, and that funeral pr- procession is, is moving down the road. So this would be no different. This would be no, no, not out of the ordinary. But even in this ordinary situation, as he sees this mom, as he sees this son, though it's an ordinary moment, Jesus acts in an extraordinary way. He's moved with emotion by a stranger's need. A majority of what Jesus did was for strangers. We know the story with Lazarus and how that was a very close friend and how he was moved with emotion there. But most of the time when he is healing and when he is um, doing miracles, it's for strangers and it's no different in this moment. And so it doesn't matter if he knows the person or not, he is moved with compassion. He's moved with this internal um, gut-twisting feeling and emotion for this stranger. And I can tell you today, though we're talking about us as a church and this is us, if that's you, if you are dealing with that kind of hurt, you're dealing with that kind of brokenness, you're dealing with that kind of loss, Jesus cares just as deeply for you as he does for this woman. The Lord cares for you in the same way. He is compassionate. The Bible tells us he's near the brokenhearted. He has compassion on you. But I wonder for us as Christians, for those of us who profess to be followers of Jesus, what is it that moves you with emotion? What is it that moves us with emotion? What makes you weep? What, what breaks your heart? Is it the lost? Those who don't know Christ and face an eternity of separation from um, his, their creator in, in eternal torment? Is it the hopeless? Is it people like in this situation or those who have lost everything? Those who are, who are maybe um, uh, you know, lost a family member or lost a loved one or lost their possessions, lost their job? Is it the broken? What makes you sick inside? What, what is that twisting feeling like we see here with compassion, that splagna? Is it the abuse of the vulnerable? That those who don't have someone to protect them and take care of them, children, women? Is it poverty? Is it those who are living in extreme poverty and, and need someone to come alongside of them to not just give them handouts, but to help them and to help give them a better way and a better direction in life? See, I fear that we as followers of Jesus, especially in our Western culture, have grown cold and apathetic. I I fear that the only thing that moves us, I fear that for many, some, that, that that they are seldom moved emotionally. And it's really nothing much beyond what affects us personally, what affects us in our own selfish ambitions, what disrupts our comfort, what disrupts our convenience. I fear what drives us to tears and even to anger is only that which personally affects us, our idols, our preferences, our comforts. I'm at the point where, you know, as as followers of Jesus, we either are going to look at Scripture and we're either going to follow it and we're going to be moved by the things that, that God is moved by, or we might as well quit using the name. 
I would rather us, the Bible talks about the lukewarm Christian, those who are hot, those who are cold. And he says, those who are lukewarm, those who are playing the game, makes him sick just this week. And I'm just going to shoot straight with you because I have nothing to hide, nothing but truth. But, but these are true examples of where we're at as followers of Jesus. People have been followers of Jesus for years. I had a man that uh, used to attend the former church at the North Augusta campus that one day we'll have a church at. And right now we're temporarily um, renting it out to a church plant. They'll start next month. And uh, we're given the opportunity instead of it sitting on Sunday to not only help pay our bills, but also to start a church and see the gospel thrive and, and, and make progress. And I had a man this week get very angry at me. Because as we were talking about this, I, said, I was talking about one day we're going to start a church there. And when we do, we want to do it right. Because I've started a church, this one. And I know what it took and I know the challenges and I learned some things. I've bumped my head. Our team has learned some things. And so I said, we want to do it right. And we want to make sure there's childcare there. And we want to make sure that we can do what we need to do as a church. Because if families come in with children, if there's nothing there for children, then they're going to leave and they're not going to stay. And so if we're going to see a church thrive, and if we're going to see it grow, just like here, like we started with a majority of children, you have to have someone to care for them. You have to have someone there to care for the people. And so as I'm sharing this, he's getting angry. He flat out tells me we didn't need anything for children. That if anyone comes with children, they can go to one of the other churches in North Augusta that has nicer buildings, that have more money, that have the bells and whistles. We don't need anything for children. And I said, then what's the point in us trying to save this church? What's the point in us trying to save this place? And this is what was said. So that those of us who built it can have our own place to worship. So that we can have our place, we can have our music, we can have our preferred way. And yet people are hopeless, they're broken, they're hurting. People um, who haven't trusted Jesus for salvation are facing an eternity separated from God in a conscience torment for, for, for eternity. People in our culture and people in our society are um, broken. They don't know Jesus. They are hopeless. They're going through the, 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 they're looking for hope, but they're finding nothing but, as the Bible talks about, broken cisterns, those things that they think will satisfy them, but they will leave them empty. And many are not moved with emotion for these people. Many are not moved and, and brokenhearted for these type people. We're brokenhearted and we have a righteous anger over the, we don't, we lack it over the sin, over the things that hold people in bondage to their sin, to the things that keep them from Jesus, the things that will keep them from being in his presence for eternity, the things that keep them from experiencing the true hope and the true peace and the true contentment. But what we do see in our culture, and it's not just this, that just happened to be a, a real life example right in front of us. Instead, Christians are driven by hedonistic anger over not having their way, their preferences. People are brokenhearted. They can't have their huddle, holy huddle of four and no more. Rather than the fact that there are seats, even in this building, 
that, that are wide open, open for people to, to fill them, to hear the gospel. Are we brokenhearted over that? Or are we brokenhearted over things are not our way? Brokenhearted that uh, it, 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 we don't get to call all the shots, that the music's not exactly the way we want it, that the programs aren't exactly the way that we want it, that we do community groups rather than Sunday school and on and on and on. We could go down the line of the things that we get so wrapped up in as followers of Jesus. And yet there are people who are in our community who need to hear the gospel. They need that compassion. They need someone who's moved emotionally for them. They need someone who would weep over them. And we spend our time arguing and complaining over things that have no eternal value or substance or matter. And we say as a church and we say as people that we're dedicated to the glory of God by extending radical grace to the broken, and yet we want to argue over the stupidest things. We want to divide ourselves over the stupidest things, the things that don't matter. Where is our anger over sin? Where is our brokenheartedness uh, over sin? Where is our compassion for the people in the streets who don't know Jesus? Where is our compassion for this neighborhood that's right across the way for us, full of houses, full of people today that aren't in church, that might not know Jesus? Because I was also told that we don't need to go tell people about People know about Jesus. They know they need Jesus. They can come to the church if they want to. They know Jesus. There's not one person in North Augusta that doesn't know they need to be saved by Jesus. God, help us and have mercy on our souls. And that's exactly why I felt compelled to help us to be reminded about who we are as a church. Because if someone chooses to leave one of these seats open because that's the mentality, then so be it. Because what we want to do is we want to reach our community with the gospel. We want to see lives transformed by the gospel. And that opens a seat for someone who's broken and someone who's hurting, someone who um, is trapped in maybe a trafficking situation that we can help get out of that trafficking situation, an addict who needs freedom, that we can help find freedom from that addiction, and on and on and on and on. And that's what we're going to fill these seats with. And that's what we're going to be about. And that's who we as followers of Jesus are going to be at New Passion Church, those who are moved emotionally. Why? Because Jesus was moved emotionally for the broken and for the hurting. Jesus had compassion for the woman in her distress, and it's the way of our King, and it must be the way that we follow. That is the way of our King. He is moved with compassion for the hurting. He is moved by compassion for the broken. He is moved by compassion for the lost. He was so moved that he did not cling to equality with God in heaven, and he came and he became a servant. He became like a homeless man without a place to lay his head. And he went to the cross and he died a criminal's death, Philippians 2 tells us. That's how much he was moved by emotion for you, because you were lost, because you didn't know Jesus, because I didn't know Jesus. He came to the cross for all of us. Why aren't we moved by emotion for those that we share life with, that we work with, that we go to school with, that also are lost, that also don't know Jesus? It's the way of our King. 
And if we're going to be true followers of Jesus, then we must follow in his way. If there's any next step today that we must participate in, that we must commit to, that we must take as a church, if we're going to truly say that we're a community of believers dedicated to the glory of God by extending radical grace for the broken, but what we must ask God to do as our next step is to break our heart for what breaks his. Yeah, I know it sounds cliche, but it's true. God, give me the eyes to see people the way that you see them. Give me a heart that understands how you feel about them. Break my heart. Help me to have that kind of compassion that you have. Help me to be moved by emotion for those in my community, in my workplace, in my school that I do life with as you are moved by emotion. Verse 14, 15, it says, Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearers stopped. And he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. You can write this down. Jesus moves into motion for the hurting and the broken. And that's what we were just talking about. Jesus came out of heaven. He, he, he came and put on flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. He didn't just stay in heaven and look from a distance. He didn't just look at the sin of man. He didn't look at the, just the brokenness of man and go, man, I hope they figure it out. I hope they can figure out all those religious laws that they've been given. No, he was moved into motion. He took a step. He did something. Last year, I received um, a text. It was the second scariest um, message that I've ever received. The first one was uh, right on at our fifth anniversary, Nikki and my fifth anniversary. She was taking... Um, Gavin to drop him off um, at my mother-in-law's house in North Augusta. And I was at a staff meeting in Evans at a church. And she called me once and I'm in a staff meeting, so I didn't answer. She called me right back. That's usually, it's an emergency. Let me get that. And she told me that they had been um, in a serious car accident, that a lady had um, ran a traffic light, T-boned them in her SUV and rolled it. And so I was out of that office in Evans to Knox Avenue, if you know where Knox Avenue is in North Augusta, in about 10 minutes. And uh, I, don't, I, I won't tell you how, but I got there. And the vehicle was totaled. Uh, it might have still been upside down, I can't remember, but it, had, it, it might have rolled over, but it was destroyed. I mean, everything that was inside was outside. And thankfully, um, Nikki and Gavin were okay. We think that maybe she was pregnant with Tristan at the time. We're not sure. And so anytime he does something crazy, we just call him X-ray kid because they, you know, um, X-rayed her and we think maybe he was pregnant. And you know how that goes. Well, last year it was on Mother's Day and I'm sitting at my parents' house and uh, Tristan was um, riding his dirt bike down a trail, and he sends me this text. Now, you know you're in a, f a fun family when you have to say, I'm hurt, I promise, um, because I might think he's joking. Um, but he says, I'm going to try to ride back. Uh, I think I hurt my back, but I don't think anything's broken. I'm just in pain. I said, stay there. I'm coming your way. I didn't get the other text because I moved, because this is my son, just like when my wife and my oldest son were in an accident, I moved. I was moved into motion. In the same way, my dad and I jumped in the truck. I went so fast, I didn't even tell Nikki what was going on because I didn't think about it. We get in my truck, we drive down the trail, and I get stuck by the gate that he was talking about because I didn't get those texts. I moved. And so I get out of my truck, and I just start running as fast as I can to my son. 
Because why? I'm moved by emotion. I'm moved by compassion for my son, and it moves me into motion. I'm not sitting there going, well, I sure hope he's okay. I sure hope he can get up and get his bike back. We'll check on him when he gets here. No, your son, your daughter says, I'm hurt. You're going to move into motion. You're going to do what you can to get there. And it's a good thing we did. He was able to get the bike back because by the time I'm running down, he's pushing the bike up. He gets to my parents' house. He can't even sit straight. His body's shaking. And so we took him to the emergency room. And the doctor said it was a good thing he was wearing his helmet because not only did he on impact hit his head, but he punctured a lung and he fractured his, um, his spine. And so, um, and many of you uh, saw him. I think uh, Brian brought him a cane um, so that he could, he could walk around for that eight weeks he had to heal. But, but in that moment, I was moved into motion because that which I cared for was in need. That which I loved was in need. And I wonder as followers of Jesus, what is it that moves us not only emotionally, but it moves us into motion spiritually, physically, because of those who have need. What, what moves you to take action? What so moves you emotionally, it moves you to do something about it. It moves you to extend radical grace, maybe to the broken, to the hurting. How should the love of Jesus for us as followers of Jesus, how should it move us to engage the addict or to move to engage the trafficking victim, the widow, the ones that the Bible tells us that pure and genuine religion care for them, the orphan, the one that the scripture tells us pure and genuine religion cares for them. That's why we had Families for Families Sunday um, just a few weeks ago, because th there's thousands of kids in orphan care. There's thousands of kids in foster care that need homes, that need someone to love them. And as the church, we should be leading the way in that. And I love it during the meeting um, after service that afternoon that even out of their home church, we were told that we had, the, that not only did our church promote their event better than any other local church had so far, but even those who showed up to do something, to take action, or at least to get some information, it was their largest information gathering afterwards. So thank you. Thank you for being moved emotionally, but not just moved emotionally where you did nothing about it, but you moved into action to at least get some information to know what next steps you need to take to know how you can, you can do something about it. And if you're like, hey, I wasn't here, but I would love to, to know more about that, I'd love to give you information about that. I'd love to get you connected. But, but what moves you emotionally? How should the love of Christ that we see in the Scripture move us to, to engage the single parent, the homeless, the broken? See, notice in Scripture leading up to this passage, Jesus moves on behalf of the faith of the centurion, the greatest faith he had witnessed in Israel, he said. And he moves and he heals the servant. But we also see Jesus choose in his own compassion to move on behalf of this mom, this stranger, because of his compassion, because of his love. She, she didn't just have to have faith. She might not have even known who he was. She was so focused. She was so in distress about the loss of her son a widowed woman, that Jesus is the one that walked up to her and told her not to weep. Jesus is the one that engaged. The, the centurion came to Jesus, but Jesus went to her. 
And as a church, yes, there are going to be people who come to us. There will be people who come through this building. They will come looking for Jesus. Maybe they'll hear something on the radio. Maybe a family member will tell them, hey, you need to go to church or whatever. Maybe you invite them. Whatever that might be, some people will come to us. But all through Scripture, you will see a call to his people to go. Go into all the world. Go into every nation. Go and and compel them to come in. Go, 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 go. There is a segment of people who will never step foot in the church. There will be people who can't get to church. We are called to go. We are called to engage. We're not called to go, hey, are they a Christian? Or do they believe like me? Do they act like me? Do they look like me? Do, 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 I mean, am I comfortable around them? We're just called to go. Jesus didn't respond to her faith in this moment. It was out of his love and his compassion. That's why I say we need to ask God to give us a heart, to break our heart for what breaks his, to give us a heart of compassion like his heart of compassion, to have eyes to see as he sees so that we will go so that we will engage these people in our city, in our community, in our schools, in our work. And I wonder, Christ's compassion moved him to take action. Does yours? Does ours? Is that what new passion is known for? Does our compassion move us to action? See, the Jews had 613 laws to follow. The Pharisees would even add their own kind of stuff to it. And one of those laws was that you were not allowed to touch a dead body because if you touched a dead body, then you yourself would become unclean. And so in this moment, we see Jesus demonstrate that loving people was more important than just following these rules. In fact, the point of the law, in fact, he says and he tells us that the greatest commandments can be wrapped up into two things, and that was to love God and to love people. So there were ceremonial laws, there were dietary laws, but the greatest laws was to love God and to love people, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So in this moment, Jesus is demonstrating, he's really fulfilling the law in his compassion towards this woman. And so he um, touches the body, and I'm sure the people around gasp, but even greater than that, even more remarkable than that, the boy gasps. And he comes back to life. Jesus restores his life. And I love that picture because not only is it a picture of him being the resurrection and the life, not only is it a picture of even Mary having um, an only son and he's raising him from the dead. So there's a gospel picture there. But in this moment, he not only returns the son to the mom, but he returns hope to her. And there's things that we'll never be able to meet everyone's needs. But there's one thing we can do. Not only can we meet physical needs, but as a church, you'll hear us say often that we do this as a bridge to the gospel. How dare us ever just give food and water to people and then leave them spiritually hopeless. Meet a physical need while their uh, eternal need goes unmet. Give them water here while they will thirst forever and, have, and desire, as we see with the rich man, just wanting a drop of water as he faced the torment of an eternity separated from God. Why would we ever just meet a physical need? We don't want to just give water here on earth. One of the things you'll see coming up is walk for water. It, it, we've, we've, we've actually led fundraising out of all the churches and businesses over the last three years. So we've, the, the, the bar is high. 
But, but we do what we can to provide clean water for people around the world. But we don't just do it to provide clean water. Water Mission is committed to helping partner with churches on the local ground. Why? Because water meets a physical need. And once that physical need is met, they're open to hear the message of Jesus. And they're open to hear the gospel. We want water to be a bridge to the gospel. And so, yes, we want to restore physical hope. But more importantly, we want to restore spiritual hope. We want to give spiritual contentment, spiritual peace. And so in this moment, it's as if Jesus is telling them, you guys don't get it. Your boundaries would keep me from showing the, the compassion I must show. And so your boundaries need to be crossed. Jesus wasn't necessarily just a religious rule breaker, because the Bible says he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And that's what he did in this moment. He fulfilled the law. And you can write this down. People of radical grace are people of no reputation. People of radical grace are people of no reputation. We often say people of second chances are people of no reputation. It's the same thing. Jesus wasn't here. He wasn't concerned with the religious leaders. He wasn't concerned with what they thought of him. He wasn't concerned with what other people, the crowd, thought of him. He was there to fulfill his father's business. He was there to give glory to God. He was there to fulfill the work that he was called to fulfill. And in this moment, he did that. He restored the life of this young boy. He restored the hope of the mom. And God was glorified. Now wonder, how is radical grace moving you into action? Who are you engaging with the gospel every week. I mean, daily, it should be something that we do. Daily, it should be an opportunity in front of us to engage people with the gospel. We've talked about some of the financial challenges that we've had um, as a church over the last year. And, and, and th that struggle with after COVID and just some of the changes and things like that. You know how we don't have to worry about seats? You know how we don't have to worry about finances? One, if we're committed to giving, we're committed to tithing and we're committed to doing what we commit to do, but also if we're engaging people in our community with the gospel. That's how the church grows. We're not interested in people jumping from one church to another. If that's how you've come to us, we're not saying you can't, but we're not just trying to pull people from other churches. We're not just trying to build our church on the backs of other churches. We're not trying to go and badmouth other churches so that you'll come to our church and we talk about how great we are. We want to pray for other churches. We want to support other churches and work in conjunction with them. We're after those who are in their homes this morning, not connected to church. We're, we want those who don't know Jesus. That's how we want to fill these seats. And as we fill these seats with people, then the other things work themselves out. Then God blesses through his people. How are we loving and serving the hopeless and the broken? How are you looking, not just with what the church is doing? See, oftentimes that's the other mistake we make. Well, the church isn't doing this. Oh, the church hasn't scheduled this. No, 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 no. How are you and your family serving and loving the hopeless and the broken, those who have great need in our community? Yes, there will be times that we'll do stuff as a church, but you are called to be an individual follower of Jesus. You're called to love God and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. What you do, we talked about this last week, remember with our worship? What you do in your individual life throughout the week comes together here. It's an overflow. 
You know how the church is going to be engaged in the community? When you're engaged individually and then we come together and it's an overflow of our DNA as to who we are as followers of Jesus. How are you using your talents and your treasures to serve those in need? Some of you've got great talents. Some of you've got great treasure that God wants to use, not just to be executed on yourself, but to serve those people, to be a bridge to the gospel. How are you going outside of the box to love people, to extend grace to others? People might think it's crazy. People might think it's radical, but you're like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not a person. I don't, I don't care what they think. I'm going to love these people. I'm going to serve these people. I'm a person of no reputation. It's not about Nick. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to even try to get close to sin, but I'm going to make Jesus famous, no matter if it makes me look crazy and radical or not. And the final verses are this, 16 and 17, then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Extending radical grace leads to God's glory. That's why we say we're dedicated to God's glory by extending radical grace to the broken. Because when we give grace to the broken, it glorifies God. It points to people who he is to the world. It's a testimony. I wonder what kind of God are we showing our community? What kind of God are you showing your friends and your coworkers? Is it a God of radical grace? Is it a God who loves radically, forgives radically, gives radically, saves radically? Like, like, like we talked about, like, like whoa, I mean, if, if they're following Jesus, if, they're, if, they've, if their life has been changed, this thing may be legit because there's no way he did it. There's no way he did that on his own. It gives glory to God. Or are we showing them a God who's apathetic and cold-hearted, uninvolved and selfish and self-centered and disengaged, focused on self? See, Jesus is moved with emotion for the hurting and the broken. He's moved into motion for the hurting and the broken. And he is of no reputation. And therefore, because this is who Jesus is, as followers of Jesus and as a church, this is who we're going to be. And this is who we are. Let's pray. God, there's nothing more to pray today other than simply this. Give us eyes to see people the way that you see them. Give us a heart that has compassion and that cares for people the way that you care for them. And break our heart for what breaks yours. Father, if there's one here that's apathetic in their faith, God, give them a new passion. Awaken them. God, if there's someone here who is selfish and self-centered, help us to refocus ourselves on you and what you've done on our behalf. But give us compassion that will move us into motion. God, starting with me, may we no longer people be people who just say we're Christians, who just say we're Christ followers. And God, if this church ever becomes that way, 
If it ever becomes about just what we can do internally and for ourselves, tear it down. Because, God, we are no longer a New Testament, gospel-preaching, God-loving, people-loving church. God, may we never be a country club, a museum. May we never be just about ourselves. May we care for the family of God that you have brought together in this place. But may we then go and may we care for our community. And may we love them. And may we give them the radical grace that you have given to us. May we no longer play. May we be serious about our faith. And may we be serious about following after your way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.